0: these videos together. We appreciate you all. Well just before we come to our reading this morning I just wanted to share a story with you uh, to encourage your hearts uh, and perhaps to lift your vision uh, that you might see the power of God that is at work around us. Many of you will know that for many years I've been involved with AIM, Uh, it is uh, a movement, uh, a missionary organisation that seeks to plant Christ-centred churches amongst the unreached people groups of Africa. And I serve with them in Tanzania and Southern Sudan and still uh, sit on their board. And even this week, had opportunities to be involved in meetings with them. And one of the things we have is a a prayer cast. It's uh, a prayer group on WhatsApp where uh, anyone around the world can just uh, post urgent prayer requests. And so I was sitting on Monday morning uh, and my phone pinged and I read this prayer message. And it was a prayer from one of our missionaries asking us to pray for a brother in the Lord Uh, who had come to Christ from a Muslim background and had been involved in leading many to Christ. Well his father had not been converted to Christianity and his father had decided to put a bounty on his son's head and his father and five others were searching uh, for uh, this man uh, in order to kill him and it was just a prayer request that Uh, This young man might have wisdom uh, as to know uh, whether to stay in the city he was in or whether to try and flee for his life. Well, that was Monday morning, and then my phone pings again on Tuesday evening. Uh, And I read this message that said, just an update on our brother in the Lord. His father, who is the instigator behind all this trouble, has taken seriously ill this afternoon and been taken into hospital in a critical condition. One of those searching for our brother was in a motorbike accident this afternoon also. And the house of four others who have been trying to get him was destroyed by violent winds last night. Amazing story. Praise God for his power and his protection and his love for this young man. And it's a reminder that if the Lord is for us, who can stand against us? And we just pray this morning that the Lord might increase our vision, that we might see him more clearly, that we might comprehend more fully his power at work and that we might learn to live by faith and not by sight. So let's look at God's word now, delighted that Wilma has agreed to read for us. And it's found in Ephesians 4, verse 17 to 24.
1: Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 17. This is the word of the Lord. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. With regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness.
0: Well, thank you, Wilma. I wonder since you've become a Christian, if there have been times in your life when you've gone back to your old life, uh, perhaps embracing old habits and old ways of living. Living like you used to do before you met Jesus. Or perhaps you became a Christian, but there's times when you meet up with old groups of friends and that just spells trouble. And often they just influence you uh, in ways to act and behave and think in ways that you know don't please Jesus. And it's just too easy in their company. To slip up. The reality is it's a struggle for us all. It's something that we can all resonate with in our lives. You see, the problem is that when we come to know Jesus, something fundamentally changes in our lives. And he takes us out of the world and he gives us this new identity in Christ. Many places us back, back into the same old world, the same friendship groups, the same workplaces, the same families and neighbourhoods to live out that new identity. And that's tough, isn't it? It's a difficult thing to do because we might have changed. But they haven't. And as we've been going through Ephesians, we've been thinking about this new identity we have in Jesus. We've been thinking about all the spiritual blessings we have received in Christ. We've been thinking about how God has created you and I as his masterpiece and he's prepared good works for us to do. And we've been thinking about what it means to live lives worthy of Jesus and of the potential that is wrapped up in our lives, and in the church. And we're called, aren't we, to be different, to be set apart for Jesus, to attain to the fullness of Christ, to become all that he desires us to be. And the basic message of these verses we read this morning is this. If you are a Christian, things should look different in your life. Now, it's a reminder of that change that has happened in our life, and that should be reflected in the way that we live. You know, each day during lockdown, Nicholas Sturgeon comes on, she gives her daily briefing, and she always says your life should feel different now. If life feels normal, if it feels just like it did before lockdown, you're doing something wrong. And in many ways, that is the message of Paul this morning. If you become a Christian, but your life looks just like it did before you met Jesus, you're doing something wrong. It should feel different. It should look different. Paul has reminded us of this new life we have found in Jesus. It reminds us of this new relationship with Christ that we have. And as we've been united with Christ, as we've been born again, as we've had that new knowledge of the truth of the gospel, it begins to bring other changes in our lives as well. Jesus, we have a new heart and a new mind. We have a new spirit within us and a new power at work in our lives. And in Jesus, we have discovered a new purpose in life, to live for him and for his kingdom. We have this new citizenship as well, don't we? we no longer are we citizens of this world, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we have this new desire where we walk this earth to see heaven touching earth. To be the hands and the feet of Jesus, to see Christ's kingdom take root. And we've been reminded over lockdown of this new eternal hope that we have as Christians. Of a time when the brokenness of this world will be no more. When everything will be made new. The wonderful thing is that while we wait for that to be fulfilled, we can know something of that new beginning now. We can begin to experience that transformation in the here and now. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Galatians 2.20 says this: that if we've been crucified with Christ, then it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I'm reminded of just that prayer in John 3:30, which says, He must increase. But I must decrease. That's a prayer. It's a desire, more of him, less of me, that by the work of his spirit, that Jesus would take the finished work on the cross and apply it to our lives so that the old would be gone and the new would come. That our old sinful life would be put to death and day by day we would know more fully this life within us. As the power of God shapes us and moulds us and makes us more like Jesus. What does that look like for you this morning? To what extent since you came to know Christ has the old gone and the new come? It's a question we're grappling with this morning. We know it's a spiritual battle. We know that we often fall into temptation. Paul himself in Romans talks about the things that he doesn't want to do, he ends up doing. And the things that he does want to do to please God, he ends up not doing. He writes this in Romans 7 and let me quote his honest words uh, from the message. And it says this. What I don't understand about myself, is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more, for I know the law, but still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. Just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything. Nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer is thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and my mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. I wonder if you can relate to those words. Very familiar, very honest words of Paul. We all know that struggle within us, don't we? Paul knows God's commands, but he's brutally honest and says, In and of myself and of my own power, I can't live in a way that pleases God. I seem to continually mess up. If something is to change, I need something more. Thankfully, he's discovered the answer and he points us towards it. And it's found in Jesus. This isn't something we can do in and of ourselves. It is a work of God in our lives. The message this morning is not one of a new morality. Or trying harder to become a better Christian by living a better Life That is a road that is doomed to failure and it misunderstands the good news of the Christian gospel. This is a sermon this morning about spiritual transformation and a work of God in our lives. It's about an invitation for him to take his work on the cross and by the power of his spirit to apply it To your life and mine. He is the one that brings change, not us. This is the good news that Paul wants us to grasp this morning. That if we are Christians, we now have the power of God living within us. And it's his power that brings that transformation. Paul echoes that desire we all have to change. But he also echoes that recognition that all of us have that inability to do it ourselves. It's like the New Year's resolutions I make every year and a couple of days later, at best, they are broken. Paul knows that change is tough. But he's also found the secret to real and lasting change. Jesus is the only one who is perfect. He is the only one who has that power and that authority over sin. And when we yield to him and allow him to live in us more fully, then and only then can we begin to live in a way that truly pleases God. That is the secret that Paul wants us to discover, the work of transformation and of sanctification is his. Our role is just to invite God in to do a new work in us this morning. So this is an encouraging message. It's a reminder that change is possible, that while the enemy is still at work to drag us back into our old ways. That God has given us all the power we need to live a new life for him. And that is because Christ now lives within us. We are not alone in this spiritual battle. Christ fights on our behalf. And when we yield to him and let him come in power, he can break all the chains that hold us back. Ezekiel 11, 19-20 says this, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. Romans 12 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind this message this morning is about the supernatural work of God in our lives he gives us a new heart he gives us a new spirit he renews our minds he enables us to walk in his ways and to be obedient to him and to keep his statutes and his laws he transforms us So that we will no longer be conformed to this world, but live lives that are different, set apart for him. And so here in these verses, we have this group of Christians in Ephesus. They've had their lives turned around by Jesus, but they've not been removed from the culture around them. It would be easy for the Ephesians to live for Jesus if, once they were saved, he'd whisked them away to heaven. But he didn't. He left them in Ephesus, surrounded by all the same old things that had entrapped them and tempted them before. Is it truly possible to live for Jesus in such a context? Well, the answer is yes. You see, something within them has been broken before those things and the culture around them had a power over them. But now as they stand as new creations in Jesus, the power and person of Jesus living within them gives them the ability to break those chains that bound them before and to stand against them, not to be mastered by them and as the Ephesians live within that same culture as new creations, suddenly their lives become a powerful witness of the gospel and the saving power of Jesus. That's God's desire for your life and mine, not in Ephesus but here in Glasgow in the culture that we have been left in to live for him, that we might be new creations in this world, pointing people towards a new and better way of living and calling people out of the old and into the new. And so Paul says, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Reading an article this week in Psychology Today, it argued that 90% of what is considered popular culture is actually just churned out by corporations looking to make money and convert us into consumers of their products. I was talking about the things that have been marketed to us over the years, like Facebook and social media, fast food like McDonald's, or programs on TV like Love Island. And how these are all just consumer products but we as the masses have embraced them seeing uh, them as kind of essential things to enjoy and consume in life and we look around and our lives are posted online and we go into work on a monday morning and everyone is talking about what they watched on television the night before in fact reality tv becomes front page news in much of our papers. Lockdown opens up. And the first thing people do is queue for three hours to get a drive through McDonald's, even going as far as putting a cardboard box over their head with wheels stuck on the side and standing in a line in order to get a Big Mac or some chicken nuggets. The article argued that this fast food for our souls is slowly killing us, individually and corporately. And that it fails to properly nourish us, that our hearts, our minds and our souls are all yearning for more. But the reality is that many refuse to make changes. And I asked the question, why is that? And it noted that in a world of rapid societal change with so much uncertainty... That these things in our culture provide us with comfort food, bring us a temporary feeling of good. Well the article ended by saying this. What really worries me is the message that underlies this popular culture and the way they influence values, greed, consumerism, distorted view of beauty, popularity and success, and a win at any cost mentality are being promoted. As I read it, it reminded me of King Solomon, regarded as the the wisest man, but someone who had accrued everything you could ever imagine in life and within his own culture. He had wealth, he had success, he had that celebrity status, he had relationships en masse. The man had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He was, in some regards, the ultimate playboy of his time, But as he reflected on life and all he had accrued, he declared vanity, vanity, all is vanity. There must be more than this. Paul says to the Ephesians that for many in the culture, as they've stepped on that road of futility, that road of vanity, that their minds have been darkened. And they have become ignorant of God. It's a reminder that the God of this world blinds the minds of unbelievers so that we're veiled to the reality of who God is and the life to the full that he wants us to have. So many people misunderstand God, the culture around us tells us that God is either dead, or irrelevant or wanting to quash our fun and stop us enjoying life. But none of these three statements are further from the truth. God is not dead. Jesus is alive. His message is more relevant today than it has ever been. God desires that we might discover life and life to the full. The problem is that our hearts are often hardened against us. Sometimes we don't see what we don't want to see. If we don't want to see God, it's easy to close our eyes and pretend that he is not there. It's like the kid who thinks they are hiding from you because they have put their hands over their eyes. They can't see you, but you can still see them. But because they can't see you, they believe that you're not there, but you are. That's how sometimes we can act with God. We begin choosing not to see him, choosing not to hear him. But every time we do that, our hearts become harder to him. And that is a difficult spiritual condition to reverse. And as the heart and the mind block out God. Not what Paul says happens within a society where people are doing that. Says this, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. When our minds lose sensitivity to God, When our hearts lose sensitivity to God, then our consciences become dull. We begin embracing all that the world has to offer without realising often the damage it is inflicting on our lives and souls. Yes, we get those fleeting moments of pleasure, but often if we're true to ourselves, We begin to wonder at times whether the values that we are living our lives by are the healthiest. Those are questions that people are asking again during this time of pause and of lockdown. But there are some who have discovered a different way of living. And as we end, Paul says this, as for you, you're different. You've learned a new way of being, so embrace it. Be different, not like others do in your culture. Walk differently. In fact, so strong is his exhortation to do that, that he insists on it in the Lord. He says, it's not just me that wants you to live life in a different way. This is God's desire for you. Embrace the power and person of Jesus. Let it transform your life so it looks radically different than before. Paul speaks of this deep change that has happened in our lives and he says this, that however is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. As we close, perhaps this is a journey you've been on. Perhaps there was a time that your mind was vehemently opposed to God. You'd have nothing to do with him. You would argue in your mind against the Christian faith. Then something happened. Lord Jesus reached out and began to touch your life. Perhaps you heard about Christ through an Alpha course, through Christianity Explored or the witness of a friend or family member. You begin to be taught about who Jesus is. You begin to learn more about him. And your eyes begin to be opened in new ways. Your mind becomes receptive to his teachings. And you begin to discover that Jesus is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And as you began to embrace him and his identity, so you were taught what it meant to be saved and to become a new creation in Christ and you were discipled, and you learned what it meant to submit to the Lord, to allow him to deal with the sin in your life, to put off your old self that was corrupted, and to embrace a new way of living, a way of holiness and righteousness that is pleasing to God. It's a testimony of many of us. That is the transformation that happens to each of us As we firstly embrace Jesus as Saviour. And then we embrace him as Lord. As we surrender our lives to him. And allow him to change us. You know some people get stuck at that first step. They embrace Jesus as Saviour. But they struggle to embrace him as Lord. They want that assurance Of their eternal destiny in heaven. But they struggle to yield and to hand their life fully over to Christ. Perhaps that's you. Perhaps you know Jesus. Perhaps you've known him for years. But you've struggled to fully yield to him. You're still holding back. And you're still stuck in some habits of living that reflect your old life. God wants more for you this morning. God has more in store for you today. God sees the potential in your life and he wants to unleash it. Don't get to heaven and have regrets that you didn't fully embrace Jesus in this life. He wants more for you. And there are folks available after the service who would love to pray with you. Just as we end, just a reminder again, this is not a message about trying harder. It's a message about inviting God in to do a new work in our lives. He brings the change, not us. Our job is just to open the door and to welcome Him in just as we listen to this worship.